morning. My name is Pastor Brad. I'm the worship arts pastor here at New Life and just want to say a special uh, welcome to those of you who are first time guests with us here today as Pastor Kristen earlier introduced herself and welcome to you. I want to do the same. So thank you so much for being here today and welcome back if you're part of our church family. We're in the midst of a series called Experiencing God, which is part of a bigger theme of this year where we're learning to experience God unreserved. And what that means is that we're going to experience the power and presence of God in tangible ways. And so what we've done is we've structured our series in such a way as to kind of build up into this so that we can learn to experience God. So we looked back at the beginning part of the, of the fall in September and October on experiencing growth and what that looked like. And now we're in this series about what does it mean and look like for us to actually experience God in our daily lives? What's it mean to hear from him? What's it mean to be invited by him into his work? And so that's what we we've been focusing on. And today we're launching into part five of this series. And uh, I want to take you through the first four parts so you understand if this is your first time here, why we're talking about this tonight. So the very first thing that we learned is this, that God is always at work around you. God is always at work around you. The second thing is God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. The third thing is God invites you to become involved with him in his work and then last week, we learned this, that God speaks by the Holy, Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. So those are the first four realities, and it's important for us to understand before we get into reality number five that if we haven't experienced God in these first four realities, that it's impossible for us to experience him in this fifth reality. It's not like you can go from the first reality right into the fifth one. You, you can't do that. I can't do that. We actually follow this process. And, and we've learned from Henry Blackaby who wrote the book Experiencing God. And in that book, he lays out this process. And what he does is he just simply looks at the scripture and he pulls out of the scripture what he sees. And he explains it to us. And it's been tremendously helpful. But it all starts by knowing God putting our faith and trust in him, and then following him as we go through this process together. So today we're going to be talking about God's special invitation. So last week we learned that God speaks, and when he speaks, he oftentimes uses the Bible. He'll use the church, that is the people that are here today around you who believe in Jesus, who are around you in your life, wherever you are. He'll use circumstances in your life, and he'll speak to you by the Holy Spirit in prayer. And when God speaks, that always leads to something. And when he speaks specifically about a work that he has for us to do, it leads to this thing called a crisis of belief, a crisis of belief. And I want us to understand the, the take-home point for today. This is really important. This is the one thing I hope that you'll leave here knowing, okay? And here it is, that God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. God's invitation for you and for me to work with him always leads us to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. So before we move on, it would do us well to understand what a crisis of belief is not. A crisis of belief is not a deconstruction of faith, which we've seen in our culture recently. Some Christian leaders have deconstructed, uh, and that is that they've gone back on their faith in Jesus and, and their trust in him. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what a crisis of belief is. It's not a calamity. It's not something actually bad that happens in our lives. Rather, a crisis of belief is a good thing. 
that leads us to a deeper understanding of who God is and how he works in our lives. So I want to give us a working definition so we all are on the same page. So here's what a crisis of belief is. A crisis of belief is a turning point or a fork in the road that calls for a decision where you must resolve what you believe about God. It's a turning point or a fork in the road where you and I have to resolve what we believe about God. And there are typically four, four to five characteristics that follow a, uh, that lead up to a, a crisis of belief. And here they are. Number one, by faith you engage a personal relationship with God. Okay, so that would go back to week two where we talked about God pursues an lo- ongoing love relationship that's real and personal with us. That's what God wants. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants us to know him. And he wants, to be, he wants us to be known by him. And it's just a, an incredible invitation. But it all starts here. We can't understand this life outside of a relationship with Jesus. We have to put our faith in Jesus, especially if we're going to move on into these next couple of steps. Number two, God shows you where, you're, where he's at work. So we have to be in relationship with God in order to see where he's working. Then number three, God speaks to you and invites you to partner with him in his work. And again, it goes back to this whole relationship thing in number one, that that we have to be in relationship with God by faith because then we come to him believing that he exists and that he's speaking to us. Just like I'm speaking to you and after church, I'm sure we'll have some conversations. And in those conversations, we're speaking together. And so that happens and that's what God does as he speaks to us. Then it leads up to this moment. You must respond and I must respond to God's invitation which reveals what we believe about God. And then number five, we're going to talk about this one next week. You act in faith, and I act in faith. But number four is our focus today, our response to God's invitation. Here's what Henry Blackaby said about this. He said, anytime God leads you to do something that has God-sized dimensions, you'll face a crisis of belief. When you face a crisis of belief, what you do next reveals what you really believe about God. So let's put it this way. How we respond to God's invitation is a reflection of our hearts. So our response is actually a reflection. How we respond to God when we hear him speak, when we see that he's invited us into the work that he's doing all around us, when we see these things and he invites us, how we respond actually reflects the condition of our hearts and what we believe about God. And and, and here's the reality, and this is straight from the scripture, the only way, there's one correct way to respond to God, and that is that we need to respond in faith. Blackaby said this, he said, Christians, as well as everyone else, have a natural tendency to try building a life in which faith is unnecessary. We establish a comfort zone where everything is in our control, but this is not pleasing to God. God will allow things into our lives that drive us to utter dependence on him. Then we see his power and glory. If you lack faith, you will not do what he wants. And that is disobedience. And all Henry Blackaby is doing is he's looking at the scripture and he's pulling out from Hebrews chapter 11 where it says, it is impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. We have to actually believe that God exists if we're going to enter into a relationship with him. If we're going to believe that, we have to believe that he exists if we're going to hear from him. And we absolutely have to believe that he exists if we're going to follow through with what he says. That's all encompassing in that faith that we have together. So we have to enter into this in faith. Remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at this passage from Ephesians chapter 2. It said, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus 
so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has work for us to do. Those of us who have trusted him as Lord and Savior, he's got work for you and for me to do. But the reality is we have to do that work in faith. We can't accomplish it without faith. Obedience to God indicates faith. Disobedience indicates a lack of faith. And at the crisis of belief moment, we have a choice. You see, the word crisis, a lot of times when we hear that word, it kind of fills us with anxiety because technically, you know, we look around the the world and we see crises happening everywhere. But the actual word crisis comes from the Greek word, which means decision. In fact, a lot of times in the scriptures, it's translated judgment. And what it is, is it's a decision moment where we decide, are we going to step out in obedience and in faith, believing that God is who he said he is and will do what he said he will do? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith shows the reality for what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. You see, when Jesus came here onto the earth, he introduced this concept to us that he was doing, and that is he was bringing this thing called the kingdom of God onto the earth. And he revealed the kingdom of God when he would do these signs and wonders. So when Jesus would heal people, when he would raise people from the dead, when people would just simply touch the hem of his garment and be completely restored, that was the kingdom of God that was breaking into the world. And, and he passed that on to us after he ascended back into heaven. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he passed it on to us to go into the world and make disciples so that we could have that kingdom of God breaking through. But here's the reality of this. Though the kingdom of God is here now, it is not yet fully realized. And many of us know this because we've prayed for people maybe who have been sick and they haven't gotten better. And other times we've prayed for people and they have gotten better. And what's happening there? Well, that's another message for another day. But the reality is this, that the kingdom of God is here already, but not yet fully realized. So there's this sense of the already and the not yet, this sense of we can see God's kingdom at work here, and yet there's this unseen part of God's kingdom that requires faith to believe that God is sitting on the throne in heaven right now, and yet we can't look up and see him sitting on the throne. That is what faith is. It's the evidence of things that are unseen. We could say it this way. Faith says, I regard God and his kingdom as the truest expression of reality. And when we respond to God in faith, believing he will accomplish through us the good works he's planned for us, we will experience God's fullness in our lives. Now, this this happened all the time in the Old Testament, actually. We have these accounts where we see God at work, and we actually see this process that Henry Blackaby has laid out for us. And it happens first in the, in the life of Abraham, where Abraham was, if you go all the way back, the very first book in the Bible um, called Genesis, in there you will read an account of a guy named Abraham who had this relationship with God, and God made Abraham a promise that he would have descendants that, that were more numerous than the stars in the sky. That's a lot of people, everybody. And so, and, and, but the one catch was Abraham had no kids, and he was an old dude. Old. And so was his wife. Still beautiful, I'm sure. But old, okay? And, and, and we all know what happens when you get older. It's way harder to have children and way, far more dangerous. And God said to Abraham, hey, listen, I know that you think this is impossible, but nothing's impossible with me. So you're going to have a kid. And God made this promise to Abraham. And Abraham, who was already old, waited 25 more years before God fulfilled it. 
That's a long time to wait for a promise from God. But what we see is when we look back at Abraham, the, the scriptures account that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So his faith, his stepping out in faith was right before the Lord. And so God had this experience with Abraham and then we fast forward a few years and we get to a guy named Moses. And Moses had this experience with God in a burning bush. Now, that is somewhat scary. In fact, this is weird, but I know this is two parts of my life that are overlapping. How many of you are hunters in here? Any hunters? Okay. Man, tis the season, right? If you're, uh, if you're an archery hunter right now, this is a sweet time because it's just cold enough that it doesn't stink to be in the woods, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, but it's just warm enough that you're not irritated to be in the woods either. So it's a great time to hunt. But what happens is when I go into the woods, I immediately have this thought every year. I go in and I go, what if I see a burning bush today? Right? I mean, honestly, that's these, my two worlds are coming together right here, right? But you have to think about that. How crazy is that? Like, like Moses is out here as shepherding the sheep and the, the things that he's responsible for, and then God's showing up in a bush that's on fire, and this bush is speaking to Moses. That's crazy, right? And yet God is speaking to Moses in this relationship with him, and he's telling Moses, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and free my people. He had work for him to do. And Moses had this crisis of belief moment. He could not deny that God was talking to him, everybody. He was talking to a bush that was burning, okay? So God was talking to him, and God was telling him, you're going to go back and do this. And Moses said, I, 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 I can't talk, right? That's, that's not in the scripture exactly like that, but he does say he stutters. So that's how it goes around in my mind, okay? So, so Moses is, is saying, I can't do this. He's making up excuses. And God's saying, no, 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 I'm going to put people around you. In fact, look right down there. Here comes your brother Aaron. He's going to help you out. And so Aaron became the voice as God spoke through Moses. And what happened was Moses went back. He led the people out of Egypt into the leading up to the promised land. And God did the, the work that he promised. And then we fast forward a few more years and God speak, spoke to this guy named Joshua and told Joshua, lead the people into the promised land. And they came to this, another river. You know, if, if you've ever been familiar with the account of Moses, you know that Moses uh, was challenged to cross the Red Sea and God split the Red Sea and the people walked across on dry land. Well, a similar situation happened for Joshua as they're standing on the brink of the promised land. God tells Joshua to go down and lead the people across this river. And Joshua looks at this river. It's in flood stage right now. And, and I'm sure he's thinking to himself, this just seems impossible. And yet Moses, or Joshua steps out in faith and he goes down and as he leads the people into the water, the water begins to spread just like it did for Moses. And the people walked into the promised land on dry riverbed ground. God came through. And yet Joshua had to make a decision at that crisis moment. Then fast forward a few more years and we have the, the disciples who trusted Jesus, who've seen his resurrection. They, they saw his crucifixion, then they saw his resurrection. And, and Jesus gave them this commissioning to go into all the world. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they have these crises moments where they have to believe that God wants to continue to inject his, his kingdom into the world through them. And they step out and they lead into it in fullness. And the church is born. And it's still alive today. We're here today as a result of their faithfulness. So what's the point? The point is, when we respond in faith to a crisis of belief, we experience God more deeply, 
And God reveals himself to the world as they see God's nature expressed through his activity in us and through us. Henry Blackaby said this, What our world often sees are devoted, committed Christians serving God to the best of their ability, but they are not seeing God. They don't witness anything happening that can only be explained in terms of God's activity. Why? Because we aren't attempting anything that only God can do. In other words, most Christians respond to God's special invitation in a crisis of belief by at best pretending they didn't hear from Him and at worst ignoring Him completely. And the reason is because ideally it sounds great to hear from God. Like we want this portion of the Christian life where we believe in Jesus, we're in relationship with Him, and we want a God who speaks to us who reveals his will to us. We want that so much. And yet at the same time, there's this sin nature in us that says, now you want that, but you, you know, to really have that, you've got to start prying your fingers off of some things in your life, like where God's going to tell you to live, like what God's going to tell you to do, like how he's going to tell you, hey, listen, that thing that you're doing that you think is like really good, it's actually sinful and you need to stop doing that because it doesn't lead to life. Right? But, but most Christians, they want both of these things. And the reality is we can't have both of these things. That's what the crisis of belief moment is all about. Are we going to really believe that God's way is better and follow through in response to his invitation? My challenge for us today is let's not be like most Christians. Let's be followers of Jesus who live unreserved for him, so that if he says, go here, we say, yes, sir. Let's be different. Henry Blackaby says, some people believe God will never ask them to undertake anything that seems impossible. They believe God will never lead a church to attempt something they cannot afford, ask someone to do something outside their giftedness, or lead someone to do something they're afraid of doing. Yet, if people are going to see God at work, they must witness more than just sincere Christians doing the best they can. People must see God at work in Christians' lives. Then he went on and said, Our world is not attracted to Christ because we don't allow them to see him at work. Instead, we must let the world see God at work and he will attract them. When God starts to work, he accomplishes something only he can do. And both God's people in the world come to experience him in ways they have never known him before. That is why God gives God-sized assignments to his people. You see, what the world doesn't need is a bunch of Christians doing their best. And listen, I'm all about effort. Like, if we can do things with excellence, we should. But what the world needs is a Christian, a follower of Jesus, who is fully devoted and surrendered to their king. Because then God works through us and the world sees him and the world actually wants him. They want to believe. They want to see his power and presence. So when we are, are challenged by this, a lot of times we think God doesn't want to do anything significant in my life. Maybe in your life, but definitely not in my life. God doesn't have anything significant. And here's what I will say to that. Look at this picture together. Baloney. Now, we blocked out the brand so you wouldn't know that's Oscar Mayer, all right? 
But you see, I think a lot of times when, when God is looking down at followers of Jesus, he just sees a bunch of baloney that, the, that we're chewing and we're eating up because the enemy's just giving it to us. And actually, baloney tastes kind of good. But the reality is God has so much more for us. So much more. So much better. Now, I want to share with you my story because I want you to understand something. Many of you already know that my wife and I are going to be going to Colorado in June of next year. That God has called us into that. But as my church family, I want you to understand why and how and when and all of that kind of stuff. Because I'm sure you have many questions and and I want you to hear this right from my mouth. And it starts all the way back in 1997. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you know that God pursued me to a field in South Central PA where... Uh, he revealed himself to me. I put my faith and my trust in him at Creation Fest. It was a great time, and God changed my life forever. A year later, I went on a mission trip to Washington, D.C. with my youth group. And while we were out serving the homeless during the day, it was an incredible experience. But that night, we actually went into the park, uh, some park in D.C., and we all sat in a circle all around. And uh, my youth pastor was very bold, and he said, Listen, I'm going to go around, and I'm going to place my hands on people that I feel are called into very specific full-time ministry. Full-time ministry. And, and so he began to, to go around and, and put his hands on people. And when he came up to me, he immediately put his hand on me. Actually, I was the first one. And I'll never forget the, the sense of God's presence. And listen, everybody, I was crying like a baby. <laughs> but that's not me. I'm not the kind of guy who likes to cry in front of people because I'm an introvert and that scares the living tar out of me um, that I'll show my emotions too much, right? So, so I try not to do that. But the reality is in that moment, God's presence was so real and so tangible that it changed me. In fact, I was probably, I'm the kind of kid who was sitting beside somebody else telling them a joke when it was supposed to be the serious time, you know? You know, by the way, you want to hear a good joke? Here's a good one. Do you know what a pirate's favorite letter is? R right? Yeah, I got to say it that way. That's actually not true. His true love is the C. Yeah. So anyway, dads, you're welcome. You can use that today at, at lunch. All right. So I got to tell my kids that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but anyway, so, so I probably was that kid, but, but when, when his hand was on my head, God changed me. And I knew I was called. And so I began to pursue him in ministry. And and all throughout high school, I began to lead worship at my church and had the opportunity to lead worship at my school because I went to a Christian school. And then I went to college at Grove City. And uh, when I went to college at Grove City, I received a phone call from a guy named Dan. And I'd never met Dan before. And and he called me up and he said, hey, I would like to have lunch with you. I want to talk to you about an opportunity for you to do an internship next summer. And I said to him, are you paying for lunch? He said, yes. I said, I'll be there. And, um, and so I went to lunch with him, and, and he actually said, listen, I, I think you would really fit well with this youth internship that, that we have. It's worship and youth and, you know, be a good fit for where you kind of sense God leading you. And so I went and I worked there that summer and actually the next summer and the next summer. And actually, um, all four years while I was in college, I worked there. But after I graduated from college, I realized that an internship salary is not good um, for, for actually living. Uh, so I knew I was going to have to find a, a better job. And so I started looking and praying. And, and all of a sudden, I received a phone call from this guy named Chris Marshall. And I'd never heard of Chris before. He sounded like a great guy on the phone, but he said to me, 
You have a friend from your church in Butler who just interviewed for the youth pastor position here uh, at New Life. And I said, who was it? He said, Jeremy Place. I said, Jeremy didn't tell me that. You know, that's the first thing that went through my head is what's up with you, Jeremy, because we were really good friends. But anyway, it doesn't matter. And he said, listen, um, we, we, Jeremy's not going to be the right fit, but he recommended you because you have this, this kind of leaning towards youth and worship, and we're looking for both of those. And kind of the rest is history, everybody. So, like, I went and interviewed, and, and here I am 12 years later uh, here at New Life, and it's just been great. Yeah. Praise God. Amen. And I want you to understand something before you hear the second part of this story. There have been three loves and joys in my life. Number one, my wife. Number two, my kids. And number three is you. And I want to thank you all so much for letting me be part of your life for however long uh, I've been part of your life. It's just been such a joy and a blessing to me. Uh, But about two years ago, I sensed God was stirring my heart a lot like he had uh, before I came to new life. And so I began to pray because that's what we do. We get in relationship with our Heavenly Father. We get before him in prayer and begin to ask him what he's doing. And so we started to pray and just say, God, what are you doing? And and listen, I'm going to tell you all the truth so you understand this because I think it's important that that everybody understands that how God shows different things to us, okay? So I started praying, and what I got in my head was a picture of a mountain. And it wasn't like a small mountain. It was a big mountain with snow on top, okay? And, And I had two thoughts that go through my mind. Number one, God's calling us somewhere that has mountains. Or number two, and I said, God, please know, I don't want to have to climb mountains <laughs> to, to, to tell people about Jesus. But I'll do it, but give me some of that grace jet power right there and give me a pack to shoot up the mountain, you know. But anyway, so, so I got this picture of the mountains, and then I just began to pray. I told my wife, Samantha, I said, honey, I, I got this picture of mountains. I don't know what it means. We began to pray, and about six months after we were done praying uh, over those things, God gave us the name and the place of Colorado, spoke that into my spirit. And so I began to go, okay. Doesn't really make any sense to me, but I'm going to begin to pray this through. And so I went to Sam again, and I said, honey, I think God spoke Colorado to us. And she said, are you sure you didn't hear California? And I said, absolutely, I'm sure it was Colorado. All right, no, nothing against California, but, um, but it was Colorado. And so we began to pray again for about six more months, just seeking the Lord. What does this mean? And then in January of this year, we attended a conference at a local church, a regional church actually here. And it's a great conference, but part of the conference had a breakout session called Praying Prophetically. At least that's what I thought it was. And I signed up for it because I wanted to go learn how to pray prophetically. And, uh, and so what I found out was the day of the event that actually it was, not, it was not a breakout. It was an opportunity for you to go and be prayed for prophetically, which as an introvert is awful, Okay. <laughs> So I was trying to find every possible way to get out of this. All of a sudden, my stomach hurt. It really did. I wanted to throw up. Like, it was, it was really awful for me, and I was scared. But I sensed in my spirit that the Lord said, if you don't do this, you will be disobeying me. And so I went. And I walked in, and I sat down in a chair. It was like being interrogated. Like, you know, I've seen this on TV shows. It doesn't end well for the dude in the chair, right? So, so I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I've never experienced this before. And they just began to pray all around me. And then all of a sudden, they began to say things to me that only God knew. I, did, I never met these people before. They don't know who I am. I've never given them any information. In fact, the guy named Steve, the, who's the only man in, in our group, 
Uh, he's a great guy. He's like straight out of the 60s, never changed. Really cool dude. And uh, he said, listen, Brad, I don't know you from a can of paint. And I said, that's a really good analogy. I'm going to use that. I didn't know these people, and they were saying things to me that only God knew in my heart. And it, it changed my life. And I came out of that experience, and I, I recognized that presence because it was the same thing that happened in 1998 when, when Pastor Greg put his hand on my head. And so I left that meeting, and I went home, and I told Sam what happened, and we waited about a month, and we went to Pastor Chris and Nancy and said, hey, listen, we believe God's calling us to this. We don't know what this is, what it even looks like, when it is, why. We don't know any of that. But would you just pray with us and for us? And they graciously agreed. And you need to understand something about your lead pastor. That is uncommon. Because a lot of lead pastors would take somebody who's on their staff who's come to them and said, I think God's calling me to leave and say, bye-bye. But Pastor Chris didn't do that. He agreed to, to mentor me and Sam through this experience. And he, he and Nancy have just been an incredible blessing to us. And they are, we're so blessed to be led by them. And so uh, we began to pray through this. And Sam and I had already planned a trip out to Colorado to prayer walk. And so we went out in May and we prayer walked. Actually, prayer drove because Colorado's huge. Uh, and, but we wanted to pray specifically in the Front Range Urban Corridor, which is Boulder, Denver, Colorado Springs. And um, we didn't make it to Pueblo, which is the more, most south part, portion of that. Um, but we, we did prayer drive and walk through parts of these cities and um, we just went out there, and we sensed God's overwhelming presence. Yes, we're supposed to be in Colorado, but we didn't know what city. And so we were praying, and we went up to, to Boulder one day. And, and as we were praying up there, I just, man, it was, Colorado Springs is great. Everybody thinks it's beautiful. It's not as beautiful as you think, okay, because there are literally houses everywhere. So it's, like, awesome. The, the mountains are beautiful, but then you look around at everything else, and it's, it's, it's okay. All right, but, but Boulder is like, ah, you know, it is just, it's beautiful. And so we went up there and we were like, wow, this place is sweet. Yeah, we could plant a church here. This would be so good, right? And so we came back down through and prayed through a couple other towns and we got back to our hotel room and I just sensed like the Lord was saying, you need to pray right now about this. And, and so we got on our knees and we prayed for quite a long time. And I just got to tell you guys, it was like God pressing on my back, not letting me up until we agreed that it was Colorado Springs. And I was like, for real? You know? And God's like, yes. And I just said, all right. And so that's where we're going. So we know where. And the whole time that we're going through this, I'm just constantly saying, God, when, when do you want us to do this? Kept hearing from him, not yet, not yet, not yet. And then it happened. We came back from that. We waited about a month. We debriefed with Pastor Chris and Barry. We waited a couple months, and, and I just was still praying through this. And then at the end of July, I finally felt like God said, now. And I was like, okay. So I went to, I knew what I had to do. God gave me specifically, have to write my letter of resignation. And uh, I said, okay, I'll do it. And then I waited two weeks, you know, it's one of those things. And finally got to the middle of August and man, it was like, you've got to write it. So I wrote it. And as I was writing it, I realized the date that it was, was August the 14th. It was a day before I was hired 12 years ago. And 
I took that letter and I gave it to Pastor Chris and to the lead team. And I said, listen, I know that God's calling us out here. I don't know exactly to what. And if, you know, the question why always comes up, listen, ask me in five years. Hopefully I'll have a better answer for you than right now, okay? But the reality is that's where God's calling us to. That's where he's spoken to us. And I had that crisis of belief moment. Am I going to believe God's actually speaking to me and that he is who he said he is, that he's able to accomplish the impossible in our lives? Because this looks impossible, everybody. (laughs) It really does. But God's calling us. So, we know the when. The end of May is my last day here at New Life's May 31st, and then June we'll transition uh, out to Colorado and We'll see what happens out there, but God is good, and he is faithful, and he's never let me down before. And that's, I, I tell you that story not so that you'll go out of here today and be like, man, what a man of God. No, you have no idea how many fingers God's had to pry off of stuff. I'm just an ordinary guy, just like you, unless you're a girl. Uh, then you're an ordinary girl but we serve an extraordinary God who speaks, wants to be in relationship with us, and invites us to partner with him in his work. And we have the opportunity, all of us, to step into that. Because while Colorado is significant for me, it's different for you. Maybe you're supposed to take a different job. Maybe you're supposed to talk to somebody in your family. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, it will be significant for you. And God will lead you and he will empower you. And I want to encourage you with these words from the author of the Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he said, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. The crowd of witnesses are those who've already gone before, who've responded to God's special invitation in our lives, both past and present. So somehow they're they're able to see what God is doing on the earth and, and see us being part of that. That's what I take from that passage. We're surrounded by this crowd of witnesses who are encouraging us. Go. You'll never know the fullness of God until you say yes. And maybe for you today, the first yes you need to make is to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because that's where this all starts. Or maybe your yes is, hey, I'm going to Colorado too. Sweet. So you see, God has work for us to do. He's invited us into it. And our response is a reflection of our hearts. So I want to encourage you with the next step to take today. Here's what it says. I will lay aside fear and run in faith the race God has marked out for me starting this week. You're loved by a perfect heavenly father who has perfect love for you. And the scriptures say that perfect love casts out fear. So we can lay aside fear because of who our God is and we can follow him boldly. And when we do that, we will engage in his presence. So let's be not like most Christians. Let's be followers of Jesus who live unreserved for a God who loves us desperately. Let's pray. Jesus,
Thank you so much that you came here and lived a life we couldn't live, that you died a death we should have died, and that you were raised back to life, overcoming sin and death forever, so that when we uh, come to you, we can put our faith in your complete work, that you allow us to be in relationship with the Heavenly Father who loves us, who cares for us, who's filled with love and truth so that our lives can be changed. And Father, today my prayer is for any in here who for the very first time today need to say yes to you, who need to put their faith in you right now. God, I pray for them. I pray that you would meet them where they are. I pray that your presence would draw them to you and that Jesus, you would be lifted up in their life and that they would find peace and joy in the life they've been looking for, which is only found in you. And God, for those who are in here today who have already made that commitment, my prayer is for them to step into the work that you have for them. That God, if they're in a crisis of belief moment, even right now, that you would lead them through it. That you would demonstrate who you are and your power and your presence in their lives so that they will say yes and be transformed by you and let the world see you in them. God, we love you and we thank you that we get to see what you're gonna do as we yield, as we surrender to you. And we just surrender ourselves fully right now. We lay aside fear, any hindrance, any sin, and we just wanna say yes. We'll do whatever you want our great and mighty and loving King. In Jesus' name, amen.